Hey everyone, we just launched a new show called Request for Startups. In the first season, we've got a rotating lineup of tech founders and investors joining me to share their requests for startups they want to exist in the world, and also share their stories of navigating the idea maze in different sectors so founders don't have to reinvent the wheel anymore. The first episode is out now. We cover better dating apps, references as a service, and we work for productivity. Listen first, then build. Video episodes of the show are on our Substack. You'll find a link in the description. The real point is metrics may or may not be that important, but if you're trying to launch something and decide, is this worth all the time it takes and, and your time is limited and you, and you really need to see some ROI, then you'd want to be tracking, are my downloads per episode increasing? Right? Like, Are more and more people listening to this show? You can, on individual platform sites, or if you use Chartable, they kind of roll it up from Apple and Spotify. Like, How long are people listening? Do people start the podcast and then by the time we're at the end, 5% of people are there or 99? If it's 99, then you have really great content. People really are engaged. If it's five, then you're losing them. Welcome to Media Empires, where we sit down with the most influential media creators right now to learn exactly how they built their empires. Our aim is to extract the secrets of top-tier podcasters, newsletter authors, and media creators who are breaking the old rules for media success. Whether you're looking to start your own empires or simply curious about the nuts and bolts behind media businesses, you'll find valuable insights and tactics in each episode. Grab your headphones and let's dive in. Today, I'm sharing an interview I did with Chris Hutchins, founder, creator, and host of All The Hacks, an award-winning podcast unveiling all the hacks to optimize your life in all aspects at the lowest cost. This conversation was recorded in early 2023 and is still saturated with wisdom on podcasting. Without further ado, here's Chris. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining. Dude, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Chris, it's uh, it's fun for me to uh, kind of reminisce, but we know each other for almost a decade now. Uh, almost 10 years ago, you invested in Product Hunt when you were at, at Google Ventures, uh, and that's how we initially met. Um, but then you've gone on to uh, start a company, which which I was lucky to invest in. You sold to to, to Wealthfront. Um, you uh, and and all this time at, at all the conferences we went to and and times we hung out, it, it's been obvious that you had this superpower or super neuroticism uh, for maximizing uh, for optimizing, uh, whether it's, it's points, uh, money, deals, etc. And so it only makes sense that you've set out to build uh, a media company. Uh, 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 about this, uh, why don't you talk about the, the the vision for 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 what you're trying to build with with all the hacks? Just to kind of ground the conversation, you started with this very successful podcast. You also have a newsletter. Why don't you talk about what you're doing now and and where you hope that it goes in in the years ahead? Yeah, I mean, it all started as kind of a side project. I think if you go to my Medium page, you'd be like, "Oh, Chris wrote a post about credit cards." I don't know five, 10 years ago and tried to write another post a few years later. And I was like, I, I I have this passion for optimizing, like you said, and sharing it with lots of people. And it always felt so natural to share at a dinner table. It never felt natural for me to blog, right? Like I've tried multiple times. I've even like set up WordPress sites, getting ready to go. And then by the time I, I really try to get into it, it doesn't work. So I was like, gosh, this is really frustrating. And I just kept putting on hold, putting on hold, putting on hold. And so it was kind of by accident that, you know, during the pandemic, I was like, well, let's just try to record something because, you know, that medium seems really, really easy for me compared to all the others. And that just started and just kept going and kept going and kept going. And uh, I think today I released episode 98. So we're two, two away from 100. Congrats. And, um, and it's been an awesome ride. As far as where it goes, 
I left Wealthfront to do this full time in December. And that's not because I have some crazy master plan. It's more that the business of the podcast is able to kind of at least enough for right now sustain me focusing on it full time. And I want to focus on it full time because I just want to see where it goes, but I don't have a master plan. Uh, you know, I have a podcast, I have a newsletter. I think that every time I, I go deep and research something or interview someone, I learn a lot about a topic and there's probably many mediums by which that topic uh, could be disseminated, whether it's creating YouTube videos or social clips or, you know, writing Twitter threads or stuff. And so in my mind, it's if I'm going to do all this research, I might as well find a way to get it on every medium, but not every medium is natural for me. So, so I got to figure that out too. Yeah. It's funny. Like you, the podcast medium is, is most natural for me, but I, I, I almost wish, or I wonder if I, I should wish that YouTube was more natural for me or short form was more natural for me because I, I had Nas Daily, uh, who you went on um, as well, his YouTube show. And he was saying that the only use for podcasts in his mind is just for a material for short form. Like he thinks it's all short form, the, the, uh, you know, the way to go. Like how limited do you feel the podcast medium is? Uh, at the same time, I also think in theory, it's the only medium that you can chunk up and put into every other medium. Um, so what, what are your thoughts on that? I think I disagree wholeheartedly on the last part. Um, and and I guess what Nasir said, I think that if you want to create content that's really good, you create the content for the platform. So if you want to create a really great YouTube video and you start with something that was recorded as a podcast, I just don't think it will be successful. And I've tried to look at almost every big podcast and there are definitely a few exceptions but for the most part, big names, Rich Roll, Tim Ferriss, the percentage of subscribers who watch each video is pretty low, like under 10% usually. Now, it turns out that if you interview someone who has a, a really big presence on YouTube search, um, you know, if you interview Mr. Beast, you're probably going to get a lot of views for that because the algorithm is surfacing people searching for Mr. Beast. But for the most part, I don't think recording two people talking like we're doing here and just putting it out as a video or clipping it is the right way to take the information and and put it on another medium. So if you were to want to take this conversation, which might end up having, you know, across an hour, 15 great tips for podcasters to release an hour video on YouTube might not make sense. But for you to create a, na a native for YouTube video where you're planning it for YouTube and you're referencing the conversation, maybe even throwing in small clips from us talking, but you're really thinking of it from the ground up about YouTube, that's a different story. Um, to your point, it's, it's funny, to your point about wishing that your organic kind of natural flow state was in you know short form. I feel like everyone I talk to that makes social media content for a living hates their job. Uh, <laughs> they might love the money. They might love the fame, the ego. But like at the end of the day, I keep meeting people who blow up on TikTok or Instagram and they're like, I just want a podcast where I can just have a real conversation with someone for an hour. And, and so it might be the cooler, sexier, faster growing thing. But at the end of the day, you know, I don't, I'm not doing this because I want it to grow and be big. I just did this because I wanted to get it out there and I wanted to do it in a way that was sustainable for me. Every time I try to make, write tweets, every time I try to make short form videos, I just get, I just don't like it. Now, maybe there's a new way to do it. Maybe I need to hire the right script writer for those videos. Maybe I need to find the right time of day to record them or something and, and then it'll work. But you can't do it because 
it is the popular mechanism. You can't do it because it has unlocks this thing. Do you have to do it because you like doing it? And if you like doing podcasts and you don't like making short form video, well, then you're just going to make short form video and then end up being the person that's like, I hate this. I wish I could just podcast more. And, and by short form video, does that include kind of the stuff that Ali Abdal does, like the 10 minute, the 20, you know, 20 minute? When I say short form video, I usually mean things that are made for TikTok, for reels, for YouTube yeah. shorts. When I say YouTube video, I, I'm thinking of exactly what Ali Abdal does. He's creating, and, and even think of podcasting. So I, I went out to London uh, and spent one evening at Ali's apartment slash studio to record a podcast. Now, when he records a podcast, he does it in a room that's very curated in, in decor and style. He has three cameras, all of which cost more. You know, Each of his three lenses probably cost more than our entire AV setup. And he has a video monitor so he can kind of check on them in real time. He's got a person in there sometimes watching and like live checking on different feeds and jumping the cameras. Like he is recording his podcast natively for YouTube, right? You and I, if we said, gosh, video is the most important thing in the world, we probably wouldn't necessarily be recording on Riverside, right? Or you might not be recording with like seven windows behind you where where there's a lot of backlight. Like that's okay because we're recording a podcast and we're going to put it out on YouTube. But Ali is thinking YouTube first. So I actually asked him, I was like, let's do remote. And he's like, I really don't like remote. Remote doesn't, I don't think remote makes for really good video. I don't disagree, yeah. but I'm not prioritizing video. And in, and in this conversation, we are doing it, but not prioritizing it over audio. And you're not prioritizing it just because you don't, you see the business reasons too, but you, you it's just not like, a priority. Basically, you don't care en enough about the the juice that video would give. I think that if I'm going to do video, I want to do video right. And doing video right isn't going to be, um, you know, trying to just clip a hour and a half long audio conversation onto YouTube. It's going to be take a piece of content. Like I did an entire deep dive on you know everything that I'm doing online to protect myself, delete information, cybersecurity, VPNs, everything. If I were going to make a YouTube video it wouldn't be a monologue of me for 45 minutes, uh, you know, just my face on the camera. It would be, okay, what's the puncher way to explain this? Maybe I split it into two 10-minute clips, everything you could do for uh, identity protection, everything you do for cybersecurity. And, and I'm probably going to put visuals up. I'm probably going to spend more time thinking about it. I don't want to do that until I can do it right because what I've seen now and for lots of other podcasters is that it results in like 4 or 5% um, you know, viewership from your subscribers. I just don't have enough subscribers to make sense. I have a YouTube channel for my podcast. It gets like, you know, anywhere from 500 to 1,000 views per video. And the podcast gets, you know, almost 50 times that, maybe more. So I'm prioritizing uh, audio. And once that is an operation that just functions, runs, and, and is super smooth, then I'm going to say, okay, where do I want to spend my time? Do I want to spend my time dialing in the newsletter a little more? If, if you subscribe to both, you'll see my newsletter doesn't consistently come out and you'll see that the podcast comes out every single Wednesday. Um, do I want to spend my time focused on, you know, converting my learnings into, you know, written content for social media? Do I want to focus on short form videos, um, sharing like quick hacks, quick tips, or do I want to create native YouTube video? That's what I need to figure out next. Um, or do I want to build a membership? Do I want to build a community? Do I want to build a product? Like there's a million directions and I just don't want to do any direction until I feel like I can do it right because I'm, I'm in it for me, not in it for, you know, followers. Yeah, no, that, 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 that makes a, a, a lot of sense. Um, let, let's segue into 
into what, what you've learned on, on the podcast front and, and you went on Lenny's podcast and, and you gave a great um, de- uh, detailed deep dive. So we'll go into some different topics there. Um, one, just in terms, maybe an overview in terms of growth, you know, the thing you, you, we, we spoke about offline is like the most important thing of course is, is making great content, making differentiated content, making, you know, um, stuff that that's just for, for a certain person, um, you know, the best thing that they could find on it. But outside of that, which is the, the majority of it, what have you found is the most bang for your buck in terms of like if people were to take the 80 20 of how they should think about how to grow their podcast besides making it really good? So, podcasts, unlike YouTube, unlike social media, there's no way that they organically get featured um, because it's they're good, right? There is some curation, right? Like someone at Apple decides, I liked this episode. And I'm going to put it in a different, a featured part of the app. Like that kind of featuring happens, but it has nothing to do with whether it actually was good or retention was high. It's just kind of, and maybe those those numbers get surfaced internally, but it's it's hand selected. Whereas YouTube, let's show this video to 100 people. If they love it and they all watch the whole thing, we're going to show it to more and more and more and it can take off like crazy, even if you have no subscribers. Um what that means is if you want your podcast to be heard by lots of people and you don't have a lot of subscribers, like you need to find a way to get it in front of them. Um, the best way to get a podcast in front of someone is the same for any product that's not a podcast. It's to have someone that you trust tell you about it, which is why I say you make the best content. The people listening to it are going to love it and they're going to want to share it with other people. So that's that's like the easy, obvious one is like make really good content. It's not fast, right? It's not YouTube fast where it could blow up overnight. The other thing is, okay, well, you got to get in front of people who listen to podcasts. What was interesting was I have a newsletter and I have a podcast and they cover similar topics. And I assumed that they were the same people. Well, they're not. And I did a survey and I asked, you know, why do you do one and not the other? And a lot of people were like, well, I don't like to listen to podcasts. Or I do, but I like short form news or, or fantasy football podcasts. Like I don't like long form content. For long form, I like to read. So a waste of time would be trying to get your podcast in front of a bunch of people who aren't trying to consume the kind of content you're creating on podcasts. So I think the best way to get in front of people who might like your podcast is to find a way to get in front of them on other podcasts that are similar because, or, or at least other podcasts that, you know, I did, I did a cross promo with a podcast on like humorous etiquette called Were You Raised by Wolves? And we, we, I thought it was a really interesting podcast. They liked my podcast. We, sh- we promoted each other's podcasts, uh, kind of like a cross promo strategy. And that worked really well because it, you know, but not because it was a podcast about life optimization. I mean, maybe in some weird way it is, but it, it wasn't really uh, versus like going on a money podcast that might be much more relevant. Both did well. But the benefit there is both of them got me in front of an audience that's already listening to long form audio content on the regular. And so finding ways to do that, I think, is is valuable. You can do that by swapping, which is really hard if you have an audience. You can do that by becoming a guest on other shows, which is easy if you have a thing that you are a subject matter expert on or a way to do that. If not, I would say start to think about how you can do that. You'd be surprised at how many people pitch themselves to go on podcasts and, and their pitches are terrible. So like writing a good pitch and having a good perspective, even if it's not, you're the the biggest expert in the world, right? I, I can imagine a pitch I would get, which is from someone that's like, I love personal finance. Do you want to talk about it? And I'm like, what? Then no. But if someone wrote the same pitch, it's like, I just read the top 20 personal finance books, um, you know, on 
you know, whatever list. And I detailedly summarized my, like the 10 most important takeaways from all of them. It'd be fun to discuss that. That's actually kind of interesting, whether this person is just a, a reader or not. You know, you might want to vet that they can record things and, and are good audio, you know, good radio kind of is like the, the fun term, but it, it doesn't take necessarily someone who's written the book to bring a perspective, but it does take someone who takes the time to figure out the perspective for you. Because if you just say, hey, I like travel, we should record a podcast. I'm like, I don't have the time to figure out what that would actually be about. So if you can get yourself on as a guest, if you have an audience and you can do a cross promo, you can also cross promo if you have an audience somewhere else. You could say, hey, I'm going to promote your podcast on my newsletter if you promote my podcast on your podcast. You can you don't have to even exchange um, mediums. So those are the things that I think give you the most bang for your buck. You could just pay too, right? Like if you want to get in front of podcast listeners, you could just pay dollars for someone to read an ad, just like brands pay, uh, you know, podcasters to read ads for their brand. You could pay them to read ads for your podcast. Um, so I think those are some general ideas. One that I love that's a little different and it's more on the content side is just running like affordable, like small batch ads for your podcast on a platform like Overcast where they give you benchmark data. So you could run an ad uh, and look at the benchmarks and be like, how did I perform? Because before you spend a bunch of time trying to promote your podcast, you should make sure your podcast doesn't suck. And and like, I would say there's a high percentage of people who create a podcast and they think it's very good and it's not. There's High is maybe strong, but there, there certainly are podcasts that are just not good. And it's hard for anyone to look their podcast in the mirror and say, is it, is it good? But you could run some experiments paying to put it in front of people and seeing, okay, well, what percent of people that check this out subscribe? Wow. On average, it's half a percent and mine is 0.001%. Maybe the podcast isn't that good. You know, like, so I think trying to figure out whether that content is good and, and maybe it's not good for a mass audience. You need to find a really important niche audience. There are a lot of categories you could feature a podcast in on mine. Is it places and travel? Is it education? Um, is it science? Is it business? Is it investing? Like I could put it in a lot of places and, and where you put it might affect whether the average person looking for content in that space is, is looking for something like what you create. How, how did you identify w w where to put it? And you mentioned the, the Wolf podcast that wasn't in your category, but has a you know, similar audience. How, how do you uh, recommend identifying which, uh, which podcasts might have similar audiences if they're, if they're not in your category to think about that strategy? I mean, it's really hard. Um, there are platforms that like AdvertiseCast and Gumball are places that are a little more self-serve ways you can advert, you, you could buy ads, but you could use their directory to buy ads as a directory of people to reach out to, to do cross promos also. Is, is that what you did? Um, I have done that. The, were you raised by wolves cold emailed me and they're like hey we got this cool. podcast you got a podcast i was like oh that's cool cool there's a woman named lauren Passell who runs a company called tink media and on their website they have a list of podcasts that have kind of submitted to the directory of people who want to do cross promos and they they write a little bit about their audience so that's a good place to go yeah i mean you could just look at the charts you know, like you can go to the apple or the spotify charts and just scroll through the list of podcasts there uh, if you pay for Chartable, which I think is a great analytics tool, they have a directory and they share some demographic and, and kind of information. So I would, I would just say start looking around and experimenting, right? Like I didn't know if Were You Raised by Wolves was the right audience, but I was like, well, let's find out. And we did it and it worked. And I was like, cool. 
but I haven't, there's not a lot of science to all, there can be science in that Chartable, I think has the best analytics you can use to try to learn what's working, right? If you're not measuring any of this, you could do a cross promo and it's very hard, especially early days to find out if it works because let's say you swap 30,000 downloads with someone. Well, in a perfect world, you might convert half a percent of those people. So 150 new listeners. And by the way, like they're going to probably run that over a month. So if it runs over a month, you're talking about getting 150 new listeners over 30 days, which means you might get, you know, single digit listeners per day. So if you're not using some type of attribution platform, how do you even notice whether it's working? Um, because I'm sure you're also doing other things. You're not going to stop all growth, all marketing. You're not going to stop all promoting. You're not going to be able to stop your listeners from sharing your content. So if you really want to find out if it's working, you need some sort of attribution. So I would definitely use Chartable, set up their prefix with your hosting provider, or if your hosting provider doesn't support it, switch, or uh, they have a feature called Smart Feeds, which actually fixes that for you. So I would do something like that to be able to track what's working so that you can figure out what to double down on and keep repeating. Yeah. And that's a segue to my next question, which is analytics in general. Like, I, I know you've, or metrics, like, how should we be thinking about, you know, what, what metrics to, 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 what metrics matter, what metrics to watch over, what metrics to try to improve, et cetera? Look, I think that podcasting is hard enough that if you don't enjoy doing it, none of the metrics matter. Like you have to enjoy yeah. it. Otherwise it's just going to be brutal and you're not going to keep it, keep it going. Like the number one way to be in the top 15% of podcasts is to just make 10 episodes. Like the number of podcasts that I can't remember the exact, I think it's like there's millions of podcasts and only 4% of them uh, actually have made 10 episodes and published one in the last 10 days, Some, somewhere around that number. So like, Obviously, people stop doing this, right? Like, or we wouldn't have that stat. So, if you don't love doing it and you wouldn't do it for no money, you know, all that, then uh, you probably should stop. Now, if you're in that camp, then I would say, do the analytics matter? Like, if you're doing it for fun. So, maybe not, but they matter if you're like, should I quit my job and make this a full time business? You'll probably know that because you'll have a good sense of does it make money? It's unless you're in a really tight niche with super high value listeners. I'd say until you get to 10,000 downloads per episode, monetizing is going to be really difficult. So, and, you know, not too lucrative or, or meaningful. And, and brands kind of just, they're not looking to spend $300 on an advertiser. There might be some brands, but the amount of work you're going to have to do to find them is, is maybe not worth the pay. You can also, but that said, if you want to get your listeners used to listening to ads, you could just make ads. Like you can go sign up for affiliate programs and read ads for brands that don't even know you're reading ads for them just to kind of get, get listeners used to it. But um, I, have, I haven't done that, but I've done that to fill in a few gaps. Like I like to have four ep ads per episode. Uh, I think that's like a good balance for a one hour show. And in the case that there was a week where we just didn't have an advertiser or something happened, I'll be like, what's a cool product I like? Let's go read an ad for it. Can't find enough, like... I'm not, I'm, I'm affiliate revenue for, for products that I find on like commission junction and those guys have never really moved the needle at all, but it's just kind of a fun experimenting, especially because when you do service like affiliate services, the really cool thing, and this is actually how I started the whole advertising thing was you see the data when you have a brand that tells you, Hey, you know, we want to advertise on your podcast. You might not find any data about performance other than did they renew? But if you were to go sign up for any affiliate thing on any affiliate portal and set up a redirect where it's like podcast.com slash brand, 
and then redirect that to some, you know, track, you know, click, click, link tracking thing like Bitly and ultimately, or just to the affiliate portal, you can see, oh, this many people clicked the link. Hmm. That many people listen to the bot. Like that many people are, are doing things that I say. And if that's a really high percentage of your listeners, that's really good. If no one clicks it, then either you are talking about a product or a service that no one likes. So if you want to use time early on to calibrate what kinds of services and products do my listeners like, do they actually engage? You could start to do that before you have advertisers. But I think we kind of kind of went off the path there, not talking about metrics. But the real point is metrics may or may not be that important. But if you're trying to launch something and decide, is this worth all the time it takes and, and your time is limited and you, and you really need to see some ROI, then you'd want to be tracking, are my downloads per episode increasing? Right? Like, Are more and more people listening to this show? You can, on individual platform sites, or if you use Chartable, they kind of roll it up from Apple and Spotify, like, how long are people listening? Do people start the podcast and then by the time we're at the end, 5% of people are there or 99? If it's 99, then you have really great content. People really are engaged. If it's five, then you're losing them. And maybe you need to work on editing. Maybe you need to tighten it up. I, I don't know. Every podcast story is different. So the analytics early on I was looking at was just how many downloads am I getting per episode? That was the only thing I was focused on. Is that number growing? What's the growth rate? If Paul Graham says you know, 10% week over week for startups, what's the, what does Chris Hutchins say for podcasts? I mean, there's no 10% week over week. It's like, I would say if you're growing 30% year over year, it's like a, a big win, right? Like early on, obviously, if you start with 10 listeners and you get to 100, you grew 10x. But like yeah. once you're kind of at a steady state where you're not, you know, you're not in small single digit kind of small numbers, I think doubling every year would be a huge win. Um, and, but it, it's just, it's not, there's no steep curves in podcasting. There might be like a step function because you went on a really big podcast, right? Like if you were able to be a guest on a huge podcast, you'd see a step function growth, but you wouldn't see there. There's no like exponential curve here. It's like steady, slow growth. Every time you do something, it might move the needle a little bit, but you just got to keep doing those things or, or just waiting for organic, you know, listeners to be sharing it, it, So there's no awesome curve and it's certainly not 10% week over week. <laughs> Yeah, you know it's it's really interesting. I'm um I'm at a, a place where so we we launched a podcast a month ago with four episodes. Um, the 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 and we're about let's say you know the episodes that don't have Mark and Dreesen have about seven thousand listens or seven thousand you know downloads uh, and then also seven thousand on on YouTube. So we're kind of ahead of where we are on YouTube, but not yet there on on podcasting. And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see just because we're still early what it would look like. Yeah, I mean, it also depends what you promote. It's interesting. Some people say, okay, I got my podcast. Do I want to promote the website my podcast is on? Do I want to promote it on Apple? Do I want to promote it on Spotify? Do I want to promote it on YouTube? And what you choose to promote is probably going to disproportionately affect where people go. So if you have a bunch of people with a large social following and they're all helping launch your podcast and they're all promoting your podcast on YouTube, well, then it's probably no surprise that YouTube looks like it's doing really well. I've never very rarely promoted the podcast on YouTube. And it's probably no surprise YouTube didn't grow, doesn't grow that much. Because, you know, YouTube's algorithm, I still think, isn't built for sharing one hour videos. Um, so you, you've got to drive traffic there and like prove that the videos are, are good. But, you know, Chartable has some cool stuff where I, I haven't done enough at scale experiments to tell you what works. 
but they have the ability for you to share a link. And it's like, if someone opens this on an iPhone, open Apple Podcasts. If someone opens this on uh, an Android, open Google Podcasts. If someone opens it on a Mac, open this. Interesting. And if someone doesn't open it on any of those things, uh, you know, maybe it's an Android tablet or something. And I, I don't know if that qualifies as, as Android or not. Open it uh, on the web. And so you can experiment and you could say, okay, well, this week I'm going to share an episode and default it to open up on the iPhone. And this week I'm going to share one that, or I, Apple Podcasts. And this week I'm going to share Spotify. Which one actually worked better? What drove more listens? You can kind of look at all that data. I think it's really hard to tell because it's like, well, was it was it that the link was Spotify or was this guest like was the title I wrote for this one better? So I think you'd have to do a much more scaled experiment to find out which thing really matters. But whatever platform you promote is probably going to be the platform that grows more. And I don't know how much to read into that. I have friends where the majority of their podcast listens are on Spotify. 60% of mine are on Apple. Like, was that because I promoted it on Apple early on? Is that because Apple listeners are more in line with the kind of listeners? I don't know the answer to that question, to be honest. So, uh, but I certainly haven't overemphasized promoting it on platforms like Spotify or YouTube. Yeah. Let's say that I was at the the 10K download range or even got to 25K download range for the purpose of this conversation. Like, let's talk about monetization now. Um, You give overview of growth. I want to give a brief overview of monetization in terms of you know, how should people be thinking about it? Where's the bang for the buck, et cetera? Yeah, so once you hit about 10,000 downloads, or if you have a really successful launch that shoots you up on the charts, at some point, you will get reached out to by someone that's either from a network or an agency saying, hey, we want to help you. We want to talk to you about your podcast, or maybe a talent agent or any of those kind of things. And you'll have some brands reach out and say, hey, we'd love to talk about sponsoring your podcast. Like People will start to ask questions. It's not going to come in like, you know, if you have a crazy launch and you're number one in Apple, like, yeah, it'll probably come in like, you know, a tsunami. But over time, if it's slow growth, like I saw, like, you'll get a few requests, but nothing too crazy. And I think if you figure out the average monetization for a podcast is, I would say, anywhere from 20 to let's call it and and I'm going to exclude the upper bounds of people with like really niche focus. Like we have a podcast just for doctors or just for product managers, like Lenny's podcast, like set those aside. And let's say like $20 to $50 CPM, meaning for every thousand downloads, you get $20 to $50. So if you have a thousand downloads, you know, you're going to be getting paid, uh, you know, $20 to $50. So to go to brands and be like, hey, do you want to advertise four episodes of my podcast? It's going to cost you $80. It's like, it's not even worth the time to write up the contract. But if you're doing 10,000 downloads and you could do a $50 CPM, then you know maybe you're talking about $500. Maybe it's worth your time. But you know you got to ask yourself, when does that matter? And if you had four ads an episode, maybe you're making a couple thousand dollars an episode. You know, that's like, could be six figures over a course of a year. So like now it's a, a real thing and it's worth time. So the network thing is one option, right? You could just hire someone. Um, or join a network or join a, hire an agency to go sell your ads and they take a rev share. And my general, there, there's exceptions to all this, but it's like, if you're hiring someone to help with your ads and they're just a person selling your ads, you might need to give them 10%. And if it's a company selling your ads, you might need to give them 30%. And if they're going to do a lot for you, like growth and other stuff, you might need to give them 40%. And if they're going to lend you like a really strong brand, like you know, join the TED podcast network or something, you might need to give them 50% obvious exceptions to that, but like kind of the way you think about it. So you got to ask yourself, like, is it worth my time to do this or someone else's time? 
what are the terms of those deals? Some of those deals are like, you have to give us revenue on every episode you release while we work together for the next five years. And some are much more casual. But or, or you can do it yourself, which is like, I'm going to go find brands, I'm going to email them. Uh, but you've got you've got to find the brands, you've got to email them, you got to negotiate with them, you got to build the relationships. And I was surprised at how hard it was to say, here's a brand I like, I want to work with this brand, let me email this brand. I'm like, why aren't they responding? You know, this is so hard. And so I ended up finding a person who kind of as a freelance individual um, has worked with some podcasts, had a bunch of relationships, and I work with them on a, a rev share model to, to do that. And I do some of the ads myself when I get to know brands, especially because I've worked in tech for a while. So I know a lot of, at least like on the tech side companies. So I think that's the path I've taken. Yeah. That, yeah. It, it's really interesting. I am... Um... It's it's a nice segue into the 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 Lenny strategy. I'm actually excited about kind of niche podcasts, um, so much so that I'm thinking about building a, a podcast network uh, around them because because the CPMs are, are so much better. And um, there's this company, Industry Dive, that covers like the HR industry and the the food industry and the waste industry, kind of these these industries that have high spend um, but don't have great media around them. And they sold for $500 million. And, and they basically, it, it, they're a series of publications. They're like 20 publications for these, these niche industries. And I'm curious if one could take like a podcast first approach to, to, to these industries. Lenny has done a phenomenal job on product managers. But if you could imagine, take a Lenny for every, aspirationally, you know, no one's going to be Lenny, but for every category, for, for sales, for growth, for engineering, et cetera, um, you can go outside of tech to, to these more niche industries and and find people who are you know let's say when you were um, working at Wealthfront you were doing it as a side project for you know a year or two, or two. but imagine if you um, you know and you were a bit further along in your career but for people who um, you know for it to take like let me start over one second for for people for whom they want to be full time creators now but don't have an audience or distribution or a way to get there I could conceivably hire them to be kind of like full time full time creators or or take a you know invest in them. Um, I'm curious for any immediate reactions to, to, to that idea or just reactions to building a podcast network uh, in general. So I've thought about building a podcast network. I've thought about it lots of different ways, mostly because most podcasters don't obsess about growth and monetization like I do. And so I end up meeting podcasters and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa no one I know goes nuts like you do. Like, um, do you have like some company that can help me figure out and think through this? And I'm like, no. So I was like, okay, well, what does a network traditionally do? And the two big things are growth and monetization. Uh, there are probably other things like producers that'll help you think about your content and branding and all that. But the two big things are we're going to help your show grow and we're going to help you make money. And the challenges I had there were primarily around the make money. And that for me, and this isn't true for every show, but for me, I wanted to have brands that I use their products. I love their products. That was one. And I felt like, because I strongly endorse the products, because because I use them, because uh, my audience maybe is a little up on the kind of stage in life income range, and because the types of products that I advertise a lot on podcasts also happen to be things that help you optimize your life and that kind of stuff, there is a really good alignment. But a lot of the way networks sell sell ads is okay. We're going to go to a brand and we're going to sell twenty podcasts at once. Well, the problem is not every podcast is one where they're really only working with brands they endorse and their audience knows that. Not every podcast has a 
I don't want to say like affluent, but like a, a, you know, later in career and life stage audience. And not every podcast is is kind of well aligned with a lot of the categories they're advertising. So that range of 20 to $50 CPM means that when you're at an agency, you're kind of selling at the averages and the averages are much closer to 20 to $25. So if you join a network and you're the kind of podcast that maybe could um, monetize for more, you're probably going to miss out on opportunity. Now, that's all the more reason to go start a network that is solely focused on niche audiences where the CPMs are all high because you know, you're only focused on that. You're only focused on working with... So that's, that's the plus. The minus might be the brands that want to advertise to you know, product managers might not be the same as the brands that want to advertise to engineering is probably too close, but other things. So you got to ask yourself, what scale do you get from being the network? And similarly, cross-promotion, the number the people who probably listen to an engineering podcast are engineers. People who probably listen to a product management podcast are product managers. Now, are there product managers who want to learn to be engineers? Sure. Are there engineers who want to be product managers? Probably more. Uh, but the cross-promotional strategy when you have a bunch of things that are all individual niche industries is actually going to be a lot harder. My question would be, would it be more interesting to pick one vertical? Go pick and go buy up newsletters, podcasts, uh, or, or launch your own all within one vertical where the sales strategy for brands is like, hey, you want to get in front of, I don't know, tire tire shop owners? I mean, I'm, I'm going to some crazy yeah. uh, extreme, but it's like, we have a bunch of tire shop owners who listen to our tire podcast, who subscribe to our newsletter, who get our magazine, who uh, you know read our blog, and and you could sell kind of to the same set of advertisers. And the cross promo is great. Oh, you you subscribe to a newsletter on tires? Like you probably also want to listen to a podcast about it. So that it seems hard if you focus on a bunch of niches that are not overlapping in audiences to reach scale on advertising and monetization or growth. That's where it seems hard. Yeah, it is interesting. The, the plus is the minus, as you mentioned. Because it's so niche, you can get you know way better um, CPMs and maybe even out of the CPM game in general. Like I'm in, in my early sponsors, we're we're not talking CPMs. Part of because we haven't we've just launched the shows, but also part of it because I think we're you know um, trying to create some differentiated stuff and 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 the sponsor like one sale to our, you know a customer might like pay for the whole thing. That said. That's for some benefit. for some niches that's true, yeah. but but for many for like a consumer product it's like not going to be true. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add one thing. Sorry to cut you off. You can keep going, sure. but that works at the beginning when you're like, oh, let's get one or two sponsors. But when you're like, wow, we're, we're we've got ten shows and we're producing ten shows that have four sponsors every week, so we need to be running forty ads a week. Like you're not going to have the kind of same type of sponsors. I also don't play the CPM game in that I don't price on a CPM. I basically say, where are my downloads at now? This is the price for the upcoming two to four quarters. And it, you know, we're not guaranteeing downloads. We're not, it's just, this is the price to advertise on the show. But a lot of the brands out there that you'll want to work with and companies work with agencies and you can't get around that. And those agencies are going to convert everything to a CPM. It's just like, what happens? So you go to them and you say, our ads are fixed at $1,000. And they're like, okay, great. How many downloads do you have? And you're like, this many downloads. And they're like, great. We're just going to use the number and we're going to create a CPM. And the contract we send you is going to have a CPM on it. So 
I don't go around saying, this is my CPM, this is my CPM. But like at the end of the day, everyone kind of does the back of the envelope math to, to get into it. So you, you can not do it and you could obfuscate it by saying, well, no, no, it's not just a podcast. It's a newsletter and some social media posts and all this stuff. But whatever the core property is often just gets converted to like a CPM is like, well, the CPM's higher, but we're also getting a newsletter. So maybe that justifies it. So yeah, you know. That makes sense as a as a concept, and yeah, it, just to to finish the the point, the benefit is also the curse in that um, the benefit of being a highly um, you know differentiated niche also means that it's unlikely to have a ton of overlap um, in terms of getting the scale of the of the network. You, you mentioned one reason as a podcaster to um, to get on a network like that is just more stability. If if we hire you, you get a guaranteed salary, etc. I'm, I'm curious if you think that investing in podcasters is going to be a thing, like. Um, you know, almost raising money for like, let's say someone needs 25k or 50k to take the leap, um, you know, and values their podcast at, I don't know, 200k, 500k, a million, like, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not sure, like, what do you do you think that will exist or be interesting to to both parties? Yeah, I mean, I love what Bryce Roberts from O'Reilly Alpha Tech did with IndieVC, which is like, hey, let's create a new way to raise money for businesses that don't necessarily you know, always need to hit venture scale. And so there will always be people who invest in businesses and own a piece of that business. So yeah, of course, that's that's a thing. I think the challenge with podcasting and, and any kind of creator-led business is that the revenue just takes time to build. So to pay someone a salary that they'd leave their job for, you know, I remember I was, I got an offer from one network and at the time, the podcast was making X dollars, whatever it is. And they were like, we'll give you a guaranteed minimum. And it was like 20% of what I was already making. So like, the, maybe you want to take a bigger bet, but you're going to need to own a lot of it, right? Like if I were making that kind of bet, I would say, okay, I'm willing to give you some money to invest in this. But you'd kind of need to say, okay, but I need 50% of the revenue for five years or something. So I don't know if, if from an economic standpoint, you could do it without owning owning a lot for a long period of time. Uh, otherwise, it makes it really tough. So will that exist? Sure. There are people that that would rather give up a lot to do this. But I think the interesting thing about these creator-led businesses is that they don't need... You don't, you don't need to quit your job and focus on it for six months full-time to find out if it has legs. So the offer is going to need to be really compelling Right, like, and I don't know if it makes sense as a business to make those offers. And, and I also think it um, it needs to be at a stage that make like once you're already you know have some elements of product market fit or you know an audience even like that's too late in my opinion. Like I think it has to be even before you start. And and someone who knows you and is like, hey, you're obviously you know um, an expert at this kind of stuff. There's clearly demand for it. There's some demand for it. I'm willing to take a risk. And uh, like before you've even started. I think that's the only time you you'd entertain something like like that. Yeah, I, I think that's one. Or or finding people who have done this and they're running it as a side project, and they're two three years in, and you're like, you just haven't done anything to grow this. I think there's a big opportunity. I think that's that's what traditional networks are doing now. Is like kind of getting in at that stage, which I think probably works for like they, they probably have more data to say why it works than I do. Yeah. And the other thing I'm also thinking about, the only reason I'm thinking about that is because I own On Deck Podcasters, um, the community that that helps kind of people break into podcasting. We did one cohort and I'm, I'm wondering if I should do something with that. You, 
the, the dream would be like a YC for for podcasters, but I'm not sure there's a kind of like economic term that that. that how how long ago did that cohort exist? Like two years ago. Like okay, so for two years, how many people are in the cohort? 120. Okay, so two years, 120. Everybody wants to start a podcast. How many people from that cohort have a podcast now that you think is making six figures? I think like one or two. Okay. I, I think there's a number of podcasts that exist. Um, a number of people were doing them like part-time, you know, they're like VC or, you know, kind of like for brand building purposes. But um, yeah, only like a couple, you know, breakouts, so to speak. Do you think that number would be a lot higher if you had given people money to go experiment more? I, I think it would be if we fo- like we were focusing on people who didn't have audiences, like they like they, they didn't have podcasts, and some of them had aspirations to just do it part time, um, and they just needed to push. If we said, "Hey, we're going to focus on people who want to be the next big thing," um, and um, I, I think even that would have made a big difference. And ideally, if they like our, our friend Ben at PodRamp is he's focused on people with audiences and other platforms like TikTok or Instagram who then can try to convert those to a podcast. So his, that success rate would be a lot higher. Um, but on your specific question about money, I'm not sure if that's the differentiator unless it's like money to even do it in the first place. Yeah. And, and I'm not to say it all has to be money. I could have asked a similar question, like how many are doing this many downloads, but I feel like that's so much harder to tell. Um, whereas, you know, you tip, typically people, you know, you kind of get a sense of whether they're monetizing and how it's going. But I would look at that data and try to figure out, okay, what did I learn there? Could, would this actually make sense? What if I had bet on 50% of the people or, or go back in the list and be like, what percentage of these people would I have bet on? Like you actually have a data set. You can go say, okay, well, here's all the applications. Here's, here's my criteria. Don't, don't do it on like a one-off basis because it's in hindsight, it's easy. Come up with criteria of what you would have required you to bet and then go see which podcasts fit that how much money would you have deployed and and what do you think the outcome would have been and i don't know i'd be curious to see if you could build a model that you could back test with your cohort um yeah. obviously not perfectly scientifically but going back to you when did you when did your podcast really start working like what, what was what, what was the inflection point or inflection points or was it just like steady from the beginning so i think i have a different story which is we talked about Nas Daily early on. So I did a video on that podcast, on his show, like for YouTube and, and Facebook, about having a bunch of credit card points. And in that video, they said, this is the day it's going to launch. And I said, cool, I'll do this video, but you got to promote my podcast in it and just mention that I'm doing this. And it was perfectly aligned. It was like, you know, I'm this crazy person that's collected 10 million frequent flyer miles and credit card points, like fun story about Chris. And I just launched a podcast about how to optimize your life, your travel, your money, and do all this stuff. And like the whole show is helping you do things, one of which is is earning more points, but other areas of life. So the day that video went out, they, the day they told me it was going out was the day I decided to launch the podcast. So that was part one. And so I always think that when you launch, the bigger splash you can make on launch day, the better, because you kind of momentum is what drives the charts. So if you can get a lot of momentum early on, you could be higher in the charts, get more notice from random people who are just browsing the category. So that happened. And then for, I don't know, the last 15 years, I've had a bunch of people that I've you know had sign up for my life updates or my company newsletter, that kind of different things. So I had at least some audience I could spread this to. And then I just chose to do it all the same day. So I launched the podcast the day the Nas Daily video came out. I emailed everyone that day and I created a little momentum. The show's four or five times bigger than it was when it first came out, but 
I didn't kind of silently launch it. I kind of tried to launch it with a big splash. And there's an upside and a downside to that. The upside was like I started with an audience, which like gave me the momentum to keep going. And it's like, it's hard to quit when you've got thousands of people listening every week. The downside is you have no idea if people are listening because you sent it to lots of people or because it's good. And if you start organically really small and it grows, you're like, this must be good. Um, I remember when I worked on a startup, we launched this social app, but one of my co-founders was a guy who had a million Twitter followers. And we were like, are people using this because they love my co-founder or are people using this because it's good? And we were like, weren't sure. Um, so I don't know. I had a, a bit of a different story, but I would encourage everyone to try to engineer you know, whatever big launch they can. Yeah. And, and, and going back to the monetization, have you considered um, subscription? Like I have some friends um, you know, at Breaking Points who use Supercast and they, you know, they, they do no ads and they, they make a, a lot of money on, on subscribers. I'm, I'm curious for whom does that make sense or does it just not make sense? I've had people reach out to me and say, hey, I noticed that because I produce the ads for my podcast, uh, like audio engineering production. And then I have a team that helps produce the like edit the audio and mix and master. And they emailed me and they said, hey, I noticed that your ads are a little softer volume wise than the podcast. So I keep having to pause the podcast, turn the volume up to listen to the ads, and then turn it back down. Like they're actually trying to listen to the ads. So in this survey I did about my listeners, I was like, hey, like, how do you feel about paying for an ad-free version? And I was like, no, like I like the ads. The ads are just you, but like my version of monetization isn't go find brands that want to advertise and read ads for them. Like if McDonald's wants to advertise, I don't need McDonald's, I'm not going to advertise. Uh, it's more like go through a list of every product that I use in my daily life and and products I love. And occasionally I'll find a brand that's, you know, has a product that I hadn't heard of, but I might love and I try it first and then I work with them. So my ads are like, hey, I use a product all the time. Like I'm wearing Viore clothes right now. Like I really like Viore. I've been wearing them for way longer than I've worked with them. So I'm sharing a thing that I regularly use so it doesn't really feel like an ad. So my listeners were like, man, why would we pay to remove this? That doesn't make sense. However, some people reach out and say, could you just have a Patreon? Like, I don't need you to get rid of the ads. I just want to support you more. For me, typically it's like, oh, I want to have a Patreon. So I'm going to give people more content. I Maybe it's my startup background, but I'm thinking, what could I do that would be more product focused and like something that af offers real benefit than just more content. If I make more content, I'd rather just put it out there for everyone. I don't want to like gate it to people who are paying for it. But could I build a product or a service that a member of the All the Hacks community, maybe they get like 10% off hotel bookings. Maybe we make the, build them into, make them a travel agent so they can benefit. Like just, I got crazy ideas there. So I'm like, what would a community look like if it wasn't really just about more content or just like support the creator? That's what I'm thinking about more so than just like pay to remove ads because my audience doesn't seem to mind the ads. What is interesting, I was just talking to Blake Robbins yesterday on the podcast and he talked about how the future is almost like founding creator, like creators building businesses that are bigger than themselves and, and building products that are bigger than themselves. And let's just say you become, you know, one of the biggest travel influencers in the world, like like our, our you know, our, our mutual friend, uh, uh, Conrad from Trip Scout, right? I, I think they started influencer first. And so you can imagine... And um, you know, and your brand, you know, it crosses travel and, and money and 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 just living well. But uh, as you scale your audience, you know, there might be some entrepreneur out there building a company who sells to your audience who says, "Hey, if I can get Chris either as an advisor or even as a as a co-founder, um, like you can get some 
some equity in, in other kind of adjacent business businesses. Is, is that something that you could potentially see down the line? Yeah, I think I can't remember which podcast I listened to Jimmy, Mr. Beast talk about this, but it's like the direct to consumer marketing channel is so hard and and there's a lot of products, not all, but there are a lot of products that are are relatively undifferentiated. So he went into chocolate bars and and fast food burgers. Like those are his two paths. And his his gamble, which I don't think is a bad gamble at all. I I talk about it a lot and how much I like it. Is like people care more about the brand than they do about the product maybe when it comes to chocolate bars. Obviously there are people who are super aficionados, but if you're just like buying a chocolate bar, it's like, well, I love Mr. Beast. I'm just gonna buy his chocolate bar. Or I love Mr. Beast. I'm just gonna buy his burger instead of one of the 10 fast food burgers I could buy. Um, so I think having an audience where you don't have to rely on paid marketing to grow is super interesting. And so I think if you have an audience, what's a product you could build? But I would encourage people to not just go down the path of, well, I create content. So my my audience product is more content. Like what, what's a, a, a thing that you could build that would be a real business on its own? That I love that strategy. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, it does. And is there something that comes to mind for, for, for you as all the hack scales of like what, what could be adjacent? Yeah, I mean, it's some of what I mentioned. It's like my audience love, like I think of AARP as this like massive business that's created a community for retired people. Now it turns out, if anyone listening wants a great hack, and, and it was a much better hack on uh, on Black Friday when it was basically you could get paid to join AARP, but anyone can join AARP and a lot of the discounts they have set up. The challenge is a lot of the discounts and benefits and perks they've set up are really targeted towards an audience of retired people. Nobody's really built like what is a membership that provides benefit that outweighs its cost to kind of like the mass market millennial Gen Z who likes travel and experiences and, and like enjoys, you know, nice things. Like, well, what is that? That I think is really interesting for me to think about is, is what is, what is the, the travel discounts? What are the lifestyle and experience things? All that. I don't know. That's where I'm going and uh, stay tuned. Yeah. That, that's exciting. Um, Gearing towards closing here, just a few more questions. One is on the podcast ecosystem in general. Like, do you, uh, how do you expect it to evolve? Uh, do you think we're ever going to get, you know, much better analytics tools? Um, do you think it's going to continue to grow, you know, just the overall space slowly, but, but steady? Like, what are you looking forward to as we look through the future? So I think one of the big changes we're going to see relatively soon. So most of the, right now, video podcasts live on YouTube a select number of podcasts put video on Spotify. But the way they do it is so messed up because basically the only... Spotify now owns two publishing platforms, Anchor and Megaphone. And Anchor is like the free entry-level platform and Megaphone is like the enterprise version. So if you're a big podcast, you're probably using Megaphone. You're probably not using Anchor. Which... but. They only support video on Anchor. It makes no sense. It's like the the people who are making them the most money, who are actually paying hundreds or thousands of dollars a month for the service, don't get this feature. But the, the mass market who's paying nothing do. So what actually ends up happening is a lot of podcasts, they use Megaphone and they use Megaphone to distribute to every platform except Spotify. And then they use Anchor just to distribute from Spotify. They manage two feeds. It's a, It's a mess. Once that switch happens where Megaphone supports video, which... I, I'm hearing it's like beta testing now. So I'm hoping Q1, Q2. Uh, all of a sudden, 
real podcasts, big podcasts who make video are going to be able to put that video on Spotify. I don't know what that does day one, but I think it probably puts pressure on Apple and other players to support video and and the kind of podcast RSS, which is what you know an RSS feed is basically what a podcast is uh, to support video. And, and you're going to see a push into video. I don't know what that means. Like I don't know what that changes, but I can tell you if I knew everyone when I listen to podcasts on Spotify, let's take all in uh, podcasts. They put some charts in there. They put some data in there. They pull things up on the screen. And surprisingly, they're one of the few podcasts that has a viewer rate on YouTube that's about the same as their subscribers. It's not 4 or 5%. It's like it's equal, which is cool. They show content. There are a lot of times where I'm talking with someone. So I just had this episode with uh, Dr. Jordan Schlain, who one of the early concierge medicine practices in the country or maybe the world. Uh, we talked all about health and like, things that you could really do to dial in your health, focus on longevity, all that. And he had some cool visuals. But I know that 99% of my audience is listening on audio. So I didn't really think, let's screen share, let's pull up the cool visuals. But I would have if I knew that everyone was listening. Because it's one thing to say, hey, you listen to this podcast on Spotify. You don't need to watch the whole video of our faces. But when I talk about a visual, you could pull out the app and look at it without having to like scroll through the show notes, click a link, jump to another site and that kind of thing. So I think it might change the way we have some types of conversations. I know in this conversation, uh, I might have pulled up Chartable and walked through some analytics. So if you're listening to this, you're going on a walk, you're sitting at your desk, 90% of it, you're just listening to audio. But for uh, 5%, uh, you know, you might pull it up and look at it. And maybe for 10, another 5%, you might like pull it up and rotate your phone so you could see it full screen and take a screenshot or something like that. So I think that's one of the big things. Analytics, surprisingly, I think they're way better than most people use. So really big podcast reached out to me and they're like, let's do a cross promo. And I was like, oh, I want to track how it does. And they're like, oh, we love analytics. We love to track, but we like, there's no way to do it with our platform. And I was like, this is a show that's 10 times bigger than my show. And I was like, well, actually just use this feature and you could do it. And they're like, oh, I had no idea that existed. I'm like, you came to me as a very large show that probably has a multi-million dollar revenue source just for this show. And you told me you love analytics and you didn't know that this feature exists to let you do exactly what you want to do. So I, I wonder how much of it is the analytics are bad versus people just aren't using them. I find them pretty good. Um, I've done a handful of things that are some, some a little like putting pieces together and it's not perfect. But all the links for brands that I work with are all the hacks.com slash something. So I can see are people clicking on them. I can measure the performance before the brands do, not at a conversion level, but at least at a click level of if I try two different styles of reading a promotion for a brand, which one works better, or at least which one drives more clicks. That is like, no one's doing, I don't know anyone that's doing that. Everyone's just waiting. And it's like six months later, did the brand renew? And it's like, oh, the brand didn't renew. So maybe I should try something different next time. Um, Pod Sites is a cool company that Spotify bought. And and they allow you to actually go even further and, and do really cool stuff without needing even special URLs. So I'm doing a, a promo right now with uh, Rakuten, which is like one of my favorite sites for getting cash back or earning points when you shop online. And it's not go to Rakuten.com slash all the hacks or all the hacks slash It's just go to Rakuten because we're able to use tracking pixels, which, you know, 
it's your IP address. If you're worried about that, you could probably block it. But I, I think at this point, it, it's not your personal information. And I think most people are hopefully comfortable with that. But it would allow you to find out, did someone listening to this podcast, not who is it, but did they go to the website? So I know when I was at Wealthfront, one of the challenges advertising on podcasts was we would see people not going to the link that was announced that said, where did you find out about us? And they'd say, a podcast. Well, we don't know which podcast. We were on five. Like, So we had to apply a multiple that was like, from the number of people we know came from a podcast, uh, three, five, 10, one, two, what, what multiple of that number actually came? I think that stuff will get so much better, but not because the technology will exist, because it already exists. Just brands will actually start to use it. So I love working with brands that use it. Uh, like Shopify, I'm working with Shopify right now. I can see how many people are going to Shopify's website after I run an ad. Um, and then like you just can't see that anywhere else. So I don't know. I love being on the the like early adopter side of podcasting because I feel like most people aren't. But I kind of feel like I already can see what's happening. So it, it is fascinating. And I is the, the same thing exists for first party data. Um, on like who your audience is, is is the stuff there and people just don't use it or is that stuff going to get better? I think that will get better, but right now it's not good, right? Like it's not like I can actually see anyone's IP address that that level information isn't shared. What I can see is like, did people, this is one stat that I would love to know. I know the number of unique IP addresses that listen to the show every month. And I know the number of downloads each episode gets. I have no idea if, and the ratio is probably three to one. So every episode, for every episode download, there's like three times as many unique listeners a month. But a unique listener is an IP address. Do I, you know, and if that number, do, do I have, mul- like, is that everyone listens to one in three episodes? Or is that everyone listens to every episode on three different devices? Or not even, you know, or on th- while they're in the car, while they're at home, and while they're at work? I don't know the answer to that question. We don't have any data to show that. I think Apple, all the player apps know that, but there's not really a, a way to share that back. Spotify might might be the closest to be able to share this because they own an analytics platform, a hosting platform, and a consumer platform. So I think they might be the closest and they do give some demographic data, but it's very high level. It's like, yeah. and I, f- I mean, even who's an executive, like who are investors, uh, who are high net worth. No, we're like, we're way <laughs> far. Like, I don't even know, like the, I know like the five age buckets and like what percentage they fall in. And yeah. and that's kind of it. Yeah. And, and, and you've, you've used surveys somewhat effectively to. Uh, yeah. I've surveyed my audience to try to understand them. There's obviously some bias. It's like, well, who's responding to the survey versus not? And so, and if you give a giveaway to try to get people to incentivize people to respond, well, are the people that are responding people who are, you know, more likely to want to give away? What are you giving away? Like, it's very hard. Uh, I still think listener surveys are great because you can learn a bunch of great things. For example, you're trying to think about how to advertise to your, to your, grow your show ask your listeners what other podcasts they listen to, what other media sites they consume, what newsletters they subscribe to. And you're like, hmm, what bubbles up? Wow, the most popular other content source from people that listen to my show now is X. And ideally, it's X is a lot bigger than your show. Maybe X is what you should be targeting to go on as a guest or to advertise on or promo swap or something like that. Yeah, closing up here, 
I mean, you, you've amassed so much knowledge on, on, on podcasts. It's really been a, a masterclass. I'm excited to see what you, what, what else you do with it besides apply it to, to your own podcast, whether it's, and especially for podcasters listening to this, whether it's future, a course you launch or a consulting you do, or, or, or something else that you, you, you leverage your, uh, your, your massive podcast knowledge. And I'm selfishly, I'm excited for you to do the same for newsletters or YouTube. So we can, uh, I, I can learn from your, your discovery as well. Uh, but this, this has really been a, a, a amazing episode. Thanks so much for, for, for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. If if people want more, just you know, find a way to reach out to me. And if if you want this level of optimization applied to your life, like deals, money, travel, health, uh, time management, productivity, all that stuff, come check out all the hacks. See see how see what we're up to. Yeah, ch- definitely check out the the, the podcast. F- follow Chris on all platforms. If you have a podcast with an audience, you know, do consider pitching uh, pitching Chris. Um, uh, Chris, thanks thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Turpentine is a network of podcasts, newsletters, and more covering tech, business, and culture, all from the perspective of industry insiders and experts. We're the network behind the show you're listening to right now. At Turpentine, we're building the first media outlet for tech people by tech people. We have a slate of hit shows across a range of topics and industries, from AI with Cognitive Revolution to Econ 102 with Noah Smith. Our other shows drive the conversation in tech, with the most interesting thinkers, founders, and investors, like Moment of Zen and my show Upstream. We're looking for industry-leading hosts and shows along with sponsors. If you think that might be you or your company, email me at eric at turpentine.co. That's E-R-I-K at turpentine.co.